This is Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in, went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, I, I love being at Redemption Peoria. Um, I love being a part of Redemption. Uh, this has been a joy for me to see how God is moving in our church across this city. And uh, being one of the ten congregations inside of Redemption just uh, excites me. Now, as much as I love Redemption, I specifically love Redemption Alhambra. Let me tell you a little bit about us and, uh, and who we are. I love being a part of a very diverse neighborhood and a very diverse community. Nothing against you all, but you all a little too white for me. And, um, and so uh, I love being, I love having all nations, tribes, and tongues. That makes us a little bit unique. We're very, very diverse community, and I, I love that. My wife and I also, uh, we, we've been in that neighborhood for quite a bit of time. As the Lord has brought us into Alhambra, it's not just very diverse it's a, it's a working poor neighborhood. There's a lot of poverty, which, which allows me to do something that's pretty unique. I, I've been able to work another job. I'm actually help run a painting company. And so not full-time at the church, but this year we have an extremely uh, big uh, deal. I'm one of 
two lead pastors now at uh, Redemption uh, Alhambra. We have a brother named Wayne Winter who's stepped into that role, who actually is our first full-time uh, uh, pastor that we've, uh, that we've taken on. And so we're extremely excited about that. God's been doing a, a really good work there. And so you could be praying for us. It's been really, really cool. Some of the, some of the things that make, uh, uh, that make me a little bit different, I guess, is I came into redemption, if you will, from the charismatic persuasion, if you will. My wife and I met at a, a fine theological, I won't call it a university because I left with a certificate, not a, a degree, uh, but we didn't need that uh, education because we had the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, and so uh, I met her there. We got married. I was a part of charismatic circles for a long time and consider myself uh, very lucky to have been raised in that, learned a lot, had a lot of things that took place. But I tell you what, Acts was my jam. When I was in the charismatic church, right? That was my jam. I mean, I tell you, we studied Acts, and specifically, we would start with Acts 1 8, where you shall receive power, right? When the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And, and we'd get all excited about Acts chapter 1 8, as, as we should, and then we'd just kind of skip over the text we're going to uh, share today, and we'd go right to Acts chapter 2, which I, I'm not going to preach here today, but that's when the tongues of fire come, and, and the Spirit is poured out, and, and there's revival that's taking place in, 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 this, in this area, and we jump right, right into that, and all all of the power texts that you could see throughout Acts were those, those moments in which we could see the resurrected Jesus at work once again. And that's what I want us to at least grab a hold of. Something that was very, very, uh, that, is, that is very, very precious to me and should be precious to us. That we should learn and be aware of. That there is something about those who, who, who study deeply that can make Jesus a historical figure. They can take the man Jesus and study the Gospels and look at his life and look at how he worked and look at the miracles that he accomplished, the works that he did in this world, and we can make him a historical figure, one in which we meditate on, one in which we think about, one in which we ascend in thought and knowledge to, one in which we try and strive to understand, and what we unknowingly do is make him a historical figure. But what Acts does from the very first verse, is say this Jesus is still alive. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is alive. He's alive and he is at work by his spirit in his people. That the book of Acts is not just the study of the early church or the work of the apostles. The book of Acts is the same main character, the resurrected Jesus and his ministry by his spirit, that he is seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, and he is still alive and at work amongst his people and in his church today. And when we read the book of Acts, what it pushes upon us is it takes, out upon, uh, it takes us Jesus out of the historical figure category and puts him in the present. Puts him now. John Stott says it this way. This then is the kind of Jesus Christ that we believe in. He is both a historical Jesus who lived and he is a contemporary Jesus who lives. Jesus is alive. 
My question to us as we study the book of Acts is can people see in us a dead historical Jesus or a living and active Jesus amongst you? Can he see a living Jesus who is ruling and reigning amongst his people, poured his spirit out amongst us, and he can see God working in us. He can see, they can see this living Jesus. We are a witness to what? What are we a witness to? His death or his resurrection? The church is a witness to the life of Jesus in the world. The church is a witness to the resurrected Savior. And when he came and was with his people and proved his existence, he walked with them even after his death. He comes, and last week we, we, we went over that. He comes and walks with them, and he talks to them about the kingdom. Jesus did a lot of teaching about the kingdom. That is for sure. We could go back through all the gospels. We studied Mark a couple years ago. We went through uh, different gospels, and you can see Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. He would liken it to seeds and trees and and farmers. He would say the kingdom's like this, the kingdom's like this. And we're going to look at a couple of parables today that says the kingdom is like this. He was constantly trying to teach his disciples about the kingdom. But as much as Jesus taught about the kingdom, shows us another thing. That the disciples had a hard time understanding what the kingdom was. And there's a reason why. We can look at these disciples and go, oh, silly disciples. How could you miss it? Or you could say, the reason why the kingdom is talked about even so much is because we have a hard time understanding. The reality is everything around us, all the kingdoms of this world, the way we, all the institutions in which we are a part of, all of our workplaces and workforces and and all of our colleges and all the things that we are a part of, the way in which those kingdoms or those spheres operate are completely opposite to the kingdom of God. This is why many of us have struggle operating amongst the kingdom of God because it opposes everything that we are taught and everything we are shaped by, it's upside down to us. You see, we're used to being in environments and kingdoms where we work our way into positions of favor. But in the kingdom of God, you don't work your way into grace. You worship. You don't work your way into grace. You worship. In the kingdom of God, you don't ascend into greatness. We're used to working our way and ascending into greatness. In every other sphere, you kind of ascend. Here's what greatness is. You get to rise. In the kingdom of God, greatness is descending. You want to be great in the kingdom? You've got to descend. You've got to learn to be a servant that opposes everything in us you see in all the kingdoms of this world you have to fight for your position but in the kingdom of god you have to trust for your position in this kingdom you have to trust last week the disciples asked jesus a question while he was ascending i can just picture that i mean he is still talking and he's just floating off And the question they asked had so many errors, but one of them was, 
Are you going to come in power? Are you going to come and establish your kingdom? Are you going to make Israel great again? Are you going to do this work? This is, the, this is the kind of question. Why? Because in their mind, the kingdom was still this loud and powerful, explosive kingdom. They thought that Jesus was now, after his resurrection, going to come and, and destroy all nations and going to establish his people as the, the greatest nation in the world. It's going to be loud and powerful and explosive, except the kingdom of God is not loud, powerful, and explosive in the way in which we think. It's like a seed. It's like an infant. Another thing that we think of when we think of the kingdom of God, we think of this kind of cultural, or if you will, this racial reality. Uh, uh, this is what they thought of. They thought that, the, that, that they were saved by race because they were the people of Israel and not saved by grace. And so they said, are you going to come and make Israel great again? What they meant by great again was the most powerful with all the power. They're going to destroy all nations and everybody else. And he's saying, no, this kingdom is going to bring all nations, tribes, and tongues. Those who you've called family are now going to be brought into this family. And all the tribes and tongues, now those who you thought were enemies, would be family. I think the greatest witness of the church in the world is when people from all nations, tribes, and tongues are not just tolerating each other, but are family. You see this reality of, are you going to do it now? They asked, are you going to do it now? Are you going to establish your kingdom now? Because everything in us is wired for what we want to have it now. All of the things is, I got to go get it. I got to make it happen. I got to get it now. But the kingdom of God calls us to wait and be patient. That's why this text is easy to skip over. Because this text that we read today is all about waiting and all about being patient. Jesus said, you want to go in the upper room and wait. Wait for what time? What do you want? When are you coming? He didn't even give him a time. He didn't say when he was coming. He just said, wait for the Spirit. Wait. If there's anything that we can all agree upon, waiting is the worst. Right? It's just like hardwired into us from childhood. The, the famous question when you know you're going to Disneyland and you've been waiting for months and months and months and you ask every day, how many more sleeps? How many more sleeps? I got five kids. Like this is a, a, a nonstop. My daughter knows when her birthday is. She's five years old and every day she says this to me just in case I forget. Dad, it's almost my birthday. It's almost my birthday. I'm like, I know. I was there, uh, I made you, right? I own you, right? You get in the car. I don't even have to tell you the question. What does everybody ask? Driving to Disneyland, what is it? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Times that by five. That's going to be a nonstop question to the point of it just sends me over the top. I try to be patient. I try to show love and Grace, and stop asking. Please stop asking. Stop asking, right? We're turning this car around now. And we can look at those kids and go, oh, silly little kids. Or we can see, no, that is hardwired and maybe matures, but it also 
uh, continues. Because what I see, and I think if you take a step back, you could see is high schoolers are still impatient, waiting for the day in which they can graduate, grow, get their own, you know, have their own, get out of there. College students are constantly thinking about the days they're going to graduate, get that job, have that thing. And so they just kind of wait. Singles constantly waiting, anticipating, being annoying about the day they're going to be married, right? Married people are constantly dreaming about when they could be single again or... uh, Or maybe the the day that they're going to be complete and have kids. Waiting for the time in which children would come. Waiting for the time in which those children will get out of your house. It always seems like we can never enjoy waiting because the way we see waiting is until this happens, I'm not going to have everything that I need and everything that I want. This is the day that's going to change my life. And then once you arrive there, what you realize is there's something else that now you're waiting for. And another thing you realize is everything you've been waiting for is not as amazing as you thought it was going to be. You had false hopes, false expectations, And all of these things lead you to a place where you got to put your hope in something else, which is the next thing. Waiting is the worst. Only because we don't understand its purpose and value. One thing that you start to learn, I think, as you mature, I won't even say grow older. Some older people don't mature. But there is a maturity that takes place. And as you mature, things slow down. And you realize that the times of waiting are far more powerful than you gave them credit for. There's things that happen in waiting. And the kingdom of God... Is dem- Jesus talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else in his teachings. And, and I want to give you a couple of ways in which he illustrates the kingdom when he uses this, this idea of waiting. If you look at Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, you can just write that down and go look at the parable of the ten virgins. Like I, I, I know like this is a, 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 you know, an ancient text. Uh, one way we can see it's an ancient text is... Where do you find ten virgins anymore? You know what I'm saying? Uh, the other thing is, is the reality of what are they doing waiting for? Well, he, this, this bridegroom found and, 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 and said, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come and we're going to have this wedding feast and, and this is what's going to take place. Well, there were five who were foolish and five who were wise. What made them different? They were all waiting. The only difference between the five foolish and the five wise is the five who were wise waited the way the kingdom of God calls us to wait. They went and prepared. They went and got the oil in their lamp so that when the bridegroom came, they were ready to enter into the feast and enjoy. The five who uh, were foolish waited, but they fell asleep. And when he came, they were not prepared. 
See, the best example that we can have about waiting is many of us think of waiting like the five foolish virgins. We think of waiting as just, oh, man, just sitting there, twiddling our thumbs, just kind of just sitting on the sidelines, just kind of not really having anything going on. But the reality is if my, my sons, they love playing instruments, and I love it. They, 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 they are in this little band. They lead worship for the youth group, and they, they, they practice. They spend all their money on instruments and everything, and I love it. But they call me, they set up practices with their bands. Hey, Dad, we're going to go to the church at 4 o'clock. We need you to come pick us up and take us over there. And we got to get everything over and set up. And I go, listen, I got a meeting. I'll get you over there, but I'm going to be there right before. So, you know, I'll just pick you up and jet you over there, right? Now, listen, if they believe that I'm coming, they're going to wait for me. But the way they're going to wait for me is, is important, correct? Like they're going to put pants on right? Uh, They're going to turn off the video games. They're going to pack up their gear and get it set right by the door because there's not going to be a bunch of time. They're going to make sure that they are ready to go so that when I pull up, I don't even have to get out of the car. They can just throw their gear in and get them to on time. But if I get home and, and I walk in the door and they're still sitting there with no clothes on playing video games, right? There's only a couple options. One is you didn't believe I was coming. Or two is you got distracted with things that don't matter. The way we wait tells more about what we believe than we want to admit. Because if we believe that he is coming, then what we will do is prepare for his coming so that when he comes, we are ready. So the only answer is if we're not preparing while we're waiting, either we are getting distracted with worldly things or we don't actually believe that he's coming. Tells what we believe. Waiting exposes our belief. And what else does it do? Well, if you look at another parable in Matthew chapter 20, there's another parable about these. these he says, the kingdom of God is like those who a, a, a man goes into the marketplace and he sees people who are standing there ready for day labor. And he picks them up. He says, listen, you guys come and help me work in, the, in my fields. They come out and work early in the morning. And he needs more. He goes back and he goes, why are you all standing around? They said, well, nobody handles this. A couple of, he's like, all right, you're hired. And he brings them in. They get out their work. They had to wait in the marketplace and then they comes at the end of the day just two hours before everything's closing down and there's still some guys standing there waiting to be hired he said why are you guys standing around well nobody hired us he goes get out in the field and then he comes out and pays them he gives a day's wage to the one who worked two hours and he goes down the line and gives a day wage all the ways to the one who worked all day and the last one's getting upset well why don't i get more because i worked harder The reality is the way we've heard that parable so many times is that, oh, man, this people got upset and they they didn't realize it. No, the reality of this is those people who sat in the marketplace had to exercise more faith because they had had so many opportunities to see people walking away, getting hired, being used, and they had to stay in the marketplace all day long waiting for the one to come and say, get in the field. And what he's showing is waiting is rewarded like working. Waiting is is rewarded like working. I'm going to tell you, waiting is harder than working. 
It's easier to get out there in the field, to do all the work, and go, look at what I've earned, look at what I've deserved. And these ones are sitting there, and he's saying, waiting is rewarded like working. And this makes it really, really difficult for us, because waiting exposes a lot of different things in who we are. And you see that in this text. He says, you need to wait. Wait for the Spirit to come. They don't know when He's coming. They can't make Him come. They can't control His timing or when He's coming. Wait for the Spirit to come. So what do they do? While you wait, what should we do? Notice this. They pray. They gather in one accord. They meditate on Scripture. And they prepare. You can look at kind of all the ins and outs of it, but you can see this commitment to prayer. You can see this commitment to getting together in one accord and meditating on Scripture. And as they were meditating on Scripture, what they realized is we don't have some things in order. Did you notice that? Peter stands up and goes, listen, according to what we've been meditating on in Psalms, he's basically breaking it down. Uh, Judas, who betrayed, who betrayed Jesus, leaves this kind of position, this organizational problem that we have. Our foundation is not as it should be. We need that 12th. Let's bring forward a couple more leaders. Let's get everything in line. And instead of just sitting there and twiddling their thumbs and just kind of going, when's he going to come? They prayed. They gathered They meditated and they prepared. Listen, the things that we love putting on the highlight reels of our lives are the moments in which God shows up in power. We love that. We love talking about how everything exploded and how everything grows and how everything just 3,000 come to and all these kinds of things. What we don't like talking about are the moments where the Spirit moved. Do you notice that they mentioned the Holy Spirit before the Holy Spirit shows up in, in chapter 2? The Holy Spirit is in that room already, moving amongst them, establishing, establishing leadership, showing why that leadership had to be moved and everything's being put in order. These are the times nobody likes to put on the highlight reel because nobody understands, well, what, what's the bowels being split out and what, why is this so gruesome and in the middle of a field there's blood and all this kinds of stuff is taking place. Listen, the foundational work that happens in the times of waiting is preparing us for the moments of power. Church, right now, In your own personal life, you may be in a moment of waiting. Right now, in Peoria, redemption, it may seem like some pause button has been pushed and things are being put on hold. And nobody wants to talk about all the things that have to happen in those moments and changes that have to be made and things that have to be taking place. And it's hard and waiting is the worst. But I'm going to tell you this, the Spirit of God is moving. And when the Spirit of God is moving, you have to trust in these things. You must commit yourself to prayer and to staying in one accord and to meditating on Scripture and preparing. Why? Because you don't know what God's going to do, when he's going to come, when it's going to happen, how he's going to move in power. But what he's doing now is just as important as what he's going to do in chapter 2. If you really believe 
He's at work. If you really believe in the places of power, then you have to understand that this moment in our lives and this moment in Peoria and these moments in your personal life are important. What are you doing to prepare to be a witness in the moments of waiting? You praying? Are you praying? Are you praying about the things that you don't understand? Are you praying about the things that you cannot conceive? Are you praying? Are you trying to fix it? Are you gathering? Are you coming together and seeking scriptures and wanting to hear the voice of of the Lord? And then are you seeing ways in which there's maybe things that are not in alignment and saying, we got to get those things in order? Because if you're doing that, you're experiencing the power of the Spirit in a way that may not make the highlight real. But you're doing things that are preparing the foundation for the times in which God brings increase. Could you imagine if the apostles were not set in place and the way that should be done to witness of his resurrection and then 3,000 were added. What could have happened to that church if the foundation wasn't laid? God knew what he was doing. Church, I'm gonna pray for you and then I'm gonna ask for you to take a moment of silence. And in that time, I want you to ask him, what should I do while I wait? Father, I thank you I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that your kingdom is real and evident. And Lord, in times where things seem like they're on pause or in hold mode, I do pray, Father, that your spirit would give great peace as we pray, as we gather, as we meditate, and as we set ourselves in alignment to your word. Would you give this church, would you give its leaders, would you give this community, would you give all of them all they need in the midst of it? And that they would see that in the waiting, you are at work. They would see in the waiting, you're still rewarding the way you would if everything was just moving. Lord, we thank you. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name.